0: I'm here today with Spencer. Spencer, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. They say hi back. Wonderful. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. This is the first episode of the podcast about topics and discussions. And based on our discussion before we started recording here, the subjectivity of life. And for everyone listening, there is an origin story for the title of this podcast that I will reveal sometime between now in the 100th episode so you know it's gonna be good for <laughs> it's gonna be good for everyone to have something to look forward to there's just not so much of that right now so something positive in the future at which point we'll give spencer we'll give you credit now buddy for having come okay. up with it or having said it in a conversation which i was actually thinking about it i was like we could give so many clues and no one would ever guess what it was but that's, you know yeah cliffhanger that's, there
1: <laughs> that's true how are you feeling, buddy? What's going on? I feel pretty good. I'm well caffeinated, well fed. Oh, man. It's just funny. I was just thinking about what I'm grateful for in our friendship is the number of times that I'll just be like on a rant. And you've been able to pull out a pearl of wisdom from that rant where I, I was just like, I don't know. I, it's just something I've, I've like not to sound all self-important and say that i'm like this <laughs> you know the emerson no, of it, our times but we, we, we want are. everyone to think you're important that's yeah, gonna get that's them true.
0: to keep listening <laughs> but, but, like this but is the, just uh, the, the augury of what's to come
1: <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm grateful that you, you, you've been able to call some of the, these things out and be like that is a funny turn of phrase and i wouldn't have even or, you'll say these things and then credit me and i'm like but dan you're being so clever i'd never said that Um, so I'm happy to take credit for this but this is really it is really more your story so (laughs) well and it's
0: funny because we talked about that years ago when we're writing script for I don't know if you say the name or not but for the the charity event right and you go back through and you read it and you think
1: man that was so funny who wrote that and then it was you it's a funny thing our friend Mark in particular is a guy that, that would do that because he was mm-hmm. kind of ghostwriting on that script. And so we would send him the document, he would put stuff in and then he would come back and read it and say, oh, who put that in? That's great. And we're like, yeah, that, is, that line is great, but you wrote that. And he was like, oh, no way, that's so so great. It's nice to know that lots of people do it because you know this guy that I've written with a, for a while, we would chat about it and then I would write it down and then we would read it a week later. And I'd be, I would have thought that he had added notes. I was like, oh man, that's a great line that you wrote. And he's like, I didn't write that, you wrote that. And he would just look at me like I was this huge dick searching for compliments. It is funny that how it, it happens um, to a lot of us where when you're writing inspi- in an inspired way, it just kind of flows out of you and you don't even know what you're putting down on the page sometimes. Uh, or it, not and maybe
0: but. And maybe it just comes from writing a lot too. I mean, I feel like, You know, I Mm -hmm. I have that experience all the time, right? Yeah. Working on a novel where it's, I've written hundreds of thousands of words now where I'll come back and I'll read something like that was a good sentence. Way to go me. Totally.
1: In morning pages for the, the screenplays I've been writing out, I will sometimes be hit with an idea for a moment or, or being able to understand how these characters are talking to each other and be able to. And to say, oh wow, like I've got the idea for this moment. And then two hours later I sit down in the screenplay and I'm trying to write the dialogue. And I'm like, I remember the moment, I remember how it happened, but wait a second. And then I have to go back and it's, you know when it was just spilling out of me during morning pages that's the dialogue that ends up in the screenplay because it's just sort of this natural thing flowing out of you, not sort of that manufactured recreation of a moment. It's kind of interesting. How much have you been going back and reading your pages? Really only when I know there was something that I wanted to put into a different work. I will go Mm -hmm. back and and search by key phrase. So I'll just say that like all content related to that's like a real big dive into the, into the, like, I was like, oh, it's like 5,000 entries. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I've only been writing for 90 days on Morning Pages, but I have 5,000 entries on that. So it's, it's just like, but they're yeah.
0: all really short.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, really. I mean, maybe three, four times I've, I've gone back through it. It's just funny how all over the place it can be that it's talking about... But then what do I need to buy at the grocery store? But by the way, there's this like really poignant piece of dialogue between a a, a brother and a sister talking about their dying father that like literally sent back to back sentences. I should just for our audience at home clarify that I don't write about that much. So I just want to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. well, (laughs) (laughs) We'll see.
0: We'll see what everybody I mean. We'll see so what we gets edited out. Actually, what to, might
1: be good is just to bleep it out so they mm-hmm. don't know what it is. That's Oh, when I'm talking about bleep, and they're like, what is he talking about so much? Right. And they can Everyone is going to know.
0: Yeah. But still, <laughs> it would be nice for my
1: dignity to, you know, if my right. mom ever hears this, she won't. Yeah. But
0: the thing is, like, every guy that's listening is going to be like, yep. Yep. And every woman that's listening is going to oh. be like, I knew it. I remember,
1: I remember being asked my deepest, darkest secret in middle school. And I was like, <laughs> I don't have a deep, dark secret, but deep down I was like, so ashamed is that I And then someone right. at school, like the next week, he was telling it in like, in elaborate detail. And everybody was like, <laughs> if he's talking about it this openly, maybe lots of people are doing this too. <laughs> it was just like, right, yeah. But it's just a funny and, thing. For, I don't know, just the sheltered suburb I grew up. We did not talk about that. I think what you just described though is so normal. Well, I think it's really what the appeal of stand-up comedy is for so many people, because it's someone getting Mm -hmm. up and loudly identifying a thought that we've all had about Mm -hmm. something, you know, it's like the Jim Gaffigan bit on McDonald's, like literally everybody (laughs) finds that funny, even though they're like, I don't eat McDonald's, but have you ever had everything?
0: Everything is McDonald's. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is a pretty universal experience and it's great when, when you can talk about them. It's funny that you mentioned that because
0: I've definitely been thinking a lot about, before the pandemic, a lot of the work that I aspired to do from a creative perspective was more in the realm of speaking, like speaking or readings, like similar to what David Sedaris does. Oh, cool. Um, And I, I I think a lot of that is, I feel that's more of a appropriate venue for the humorous things that I've written. When somebody's reading it live, the stuff that maybe on paper sounds inappropriate if you read it the wrong way or you want to add meaning to it that or intention that's not really there. But live it's like just a joke. Oh yeah. And it's funny that we've started off this way because I'm glad that we you know we got to so early on. Because <laughs> well, you know I, I had my my medical issue last week, which right. long story short was I had an an ocular migraine. Okay. Which in the grand scheme of things is not that big of a deal, but, you know, it set off this chain of events of like emails with my doctor and then an e-visit and all this stuff. And it's one of the, you know, the doctors, they'll say, you know, 99%, it's this totally ordinary thing that you have nothing to worry about. Right. But, and then they send me this long list of symptoms. And if you have any of these symptoms, you need to go to the ER Immediately.
1: <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm
0: like, fuck. Right? Just the, the, the cover um, your ass
1: document to be like, right.
0: And, and it, it really made me wish for years ago when I, I had surgery on my shoulder mm-hmm. and I did the, the pre-op discussion with the anesthesiologist because they make you sign all this stuff because the anesthesia is the highest risk. Got it. And he went through all of these things and basically to every single one, like he was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Don't worry about that and you know they say the anesthesia is the most dangerous but everything's going to be fine and he essentially said that everything was bullshit that could be of any concern so i was kind of wishing for that guy last week and you know in the the 24 hours before it was confirmed that i basically just had a headache Right.
1: But, well it's funny cuz it's i don't know i have two two well, thoughts about that really be, quickly it's be, just like, be, oh, before yeah. before
0: i let you go on yeah. i'm going to i'm going to forget where i was going with this oh, because
1: okay. this all started with Right.
0: right which so so in order to 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 cope with this I, I did write a short story that like a thousand words that was titled when the end comes I hope I'm <laughs> um, <laughs> and and I was wondering if there was going to be a natural way for that to come up in our discussion today oh wow and so there we go you know, fortunately it was fortunately right there. there was right yeah. yeah and the thesis of that story being that If I had to meet an untimely demise, that it would be best if it happened while I was doing something that people could laugh about. It would just be a lot easier
1: for my friends. I, You know, that's an interesting question, because I don't know if David Carradine's family found it all that comforting that he died in a... I think that's a little bit different. Okay. (laughs) Oh, because it was the cause of it. It's like, oh, Dan died of a heart attack. Wow. Right. And who knew he was into like, I mean, it, like there right. there's some sub headline to that. Right.
0: I just imagine people having these moments at the funeral where they're, at first they're really upset, but then they think about
1: it and they're like, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, that's true. That's an interesting thing to, I, I'm going to have to like meditate on that or, or really think about what is the best, most humorous way to, Wow. I feel like I'm going to ruminate on that, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah.
0: Maybe, I mean, maybe that can be a topic, right? Even though it sounds like it would be even more insensitive than
1: this discussion is already. Well, bad yeah, about, I, I could see that. You know, when, you know, if you have me back on the show, I'd love to, I'd love it to yeah. be the, the, or maybe you can do like a highlight of your favorite guests. Of course, I'll be one of them, but it'll be a panel discussion. And when I go, I'd like to dot, dot, dot. that's actually yeah that's kind of
0: like a a version of my last supper this woman interviewed all these famous chefs about their last supper oh and it's really sweet and beautiful which is exactly what this sounds like it would be yeah at this point i was thinking somewhere along here we would do introductions but i kind of feel like a lot of what we just said is somewhat of an introduction to both of us
1: nobody really Mm -hmm. wants to show up at the beginning of something on day one right? Like you want to get into the middle of it as quickly as possible. And we did sort of start in mm-hmm. the middle of it, which is nice. But but no, you had some questions that I was excited to answer them because we are sort of talking about my favorite subject. Okay. You know? So well, let's give it a shot. <laughs> okay. then. Let's give it a shot. So hypothetical
0: question. You're in an interview.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and the person Like says, a job interview or like an interview for a podcast yes. like we are right now. Good clarification question.
0: You are in a professional interview for a corporate job. Mm -hmm. And so let's
1: set aside the fact that you're now very depressed that this is happening. But (laughs) lots of things have gone wrong in in my life for me to be in in a final round (laughs) corporate interview.
0: Every single thing that you've been doing for the last year plus has completely failed. And you're in an interview for a corporate job and the person says, so
1: Spencer, tell me about yourself oh my god what do you say i hate that question because nobody really wants to know you know what i mean right. they just want they want to know like my memory of that it it is like that's the the c-suite executive who knows that at the christmas party in a year because if they're asking that question they already know that they're going to make an offer to you and so they're asking that question so that they have a tidbit to call back to when they have to shake your hand at the Christmas party (laughs) in nine months. And they're like, or the holiday party, I should say. And it's like my old CFO, he would just come up to me. You know, I answered that question in 2016 saying that I I held the, I have a couple of records still at my college for, for rowing. And he would just come up to me and whoever I was talking to, and he would poke me in the chest with his finger and say, this guy's an ERG champion. And I'd be like, yep. And <laughs> people know and what then, that is. And then whoever I'm talking to is like, what's an erg? And I'm like, it's a rowing machine. It's an ergometer. Literally, it measures the work that you do. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. You were a rower? I'm like, yes, I was a rower. And then Tony would be like, this guy. And then walk off to the next person and squeeze their shoulder and be like, this guy went to high school in Michigan. <laughs> and he'd be like, yep. Great. You know, I don't know. It's one of those, (laughs) you know, the other thing too. How exotic. I mean, how I often answer that question is, well, the interesting fact about myself is that I have a twin sister. And then basically what's great about that subject is that everybody has the beginning of a question, but really just wants to tell you about a set of twins that they know. (laughs) (laughs) and it's awesome because that's the sign of a good job interview is that your interviewer is actually talking about themselves more and they are going to think that it was a good interview if they get to talk so
0: that's my that is actually so funny to think about twins being a spectacle yeah like somebody's going to tell you about twins like they would tell you about the time that they saw something like really intriguing or went to a national
1: park or something all, like also it's a funny thing <laughs> like i know twins yeah, yeah exactly the other thing too is that you know like the the common progression too is like are you identical oh i'm i'm being silly of course you're not identical she's your sister like you guys can't be identical I'm like yeah no that's true that would be a biological impossibility but then they're like you know the the, <laughs> the men get this like twinkle in their eye because they're like like, oh, does, does she look like you? Which is this weird sort of, I don't know. It's just this weird thing where then I have to be like, actually, we don't look anything alike. The The point is that it's a weird, awkward right. thing where you're like, oh, like maybe it's, it's a good piece of information about that guy. Cause it typically means that they're not that good of a guy. <laughs> the, the glint in their eye it almost says, Nots. yeah.
0: And you're like, don't uh, weird, like, <laughs> weird. Yeah. yeah not really yeah. buddy they're basically asking you if you're going to be in the boys yeah. club so i have another uh-huh. question and it's the same question except you're on a blind
1: date as if those existed oh, anymore oh fucking god well you can i mean blind date or is it like an online date no blind date have you date. ever been on a blind date no i've only heard about them on tv like <laughs> right it's a great little device yeah i'm actually realizing i have been on a couple of blind dates but uh, how do i answer that question now and the question is tell me about yourself right you know it's i i mean it's a funny thing because it it's just i actually i kind of zoom out you know i'm like you know typically people answer that question by talking about what they do for work but like Right now I'm trying to think about what do I do or what do I, you know, we so often define ourselves by the things that we do. And the thing that we spend the most time doing is like earning a paycheck. And so that becomes a big part of our identity. But you know, what I, I really am more interested in is what do you do to, to feel alive? Because nobody feels alive about marketing software. And you know, that right. always goes well because <laughs> basically every person I dated in San Francisco was a marketing manager in their Mm -hmm. late 20s, which is funny because I think that's who you're dating, right? (laughs) Yeah, and it's reminded me of
0: one of the first conversations that we had. And I said, I don't want to work for a company that sells software to other software companies to help them sell their software faster.
1: (laughs) And she
0: was like, that's and, the most succinct description. And she of was I like, <laughs> she was like, yeah, like, like we need that for our marketing.
1: <laughs> so I, I kind of zoom out and I'm like, you know, or, or I'll tell a story about my friend who moved to Austin, Texas. And when he met people, he would say, what do you do? And he met all these guys that were like, oh, I I play guitar, right? My friend would always Mm -hmm. be like, oh my gosh, you're a professional guitarist. And they're like, no, I'm a, you know, I'm a backend software engineer, but on the weekends, man, I I shred. (laughs) And he was like, oh, how cool. Because he was fresh out of business school. and, And anyway, it was just like, so that's how I actually just would lean on that story you know, by kind of calling out that people always talk about what they do and how that's actually, it's not the most interesting thing that they do or not the most interesting thing about their life. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, that was always appreciated, especially in San Francisco, which is such a, which basically feels in our circles, at least was sort of like business school light, <laughs> you know, like it's just all these people trying to get ahead. I mean, I, I
0: think that's a great point because, I mean, first of all, you reminded me of someone who I met, who was a few years ago, but by profession, he drove a bus. But when I met him and I asked him what he did, he said that he was a music composer and we had a really great conversation about that. And I even think, you know, if I were to like intro myself for the podcast, I think of myself as a writer. You know, I spend the vast majority of my time doing, but then I, I also have a little bit of of conflict because maybe I spend 90% of my time writing but I earn 90% of my income from consulting and investing. So, so it's, and maybe it's more like 99%. So what what really am I? No, but am I, what I do or what, you know, pays the
1: bills? I mean, I just remember how, well, it's just been interesting. I mean, I'm grateful that I'm in a space right now where I'm actually, I am. My money is earned from the things that I want to be doing that I am doing, which is as a cinematographer and, uh, and a filmmaker and an actor, which is really. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I just said that, honestly. <laughs> but it's, you yeah. know, and I'm not making a lot of money, but. What part about that can you not imagine? I can't. What you just I said? mean,
0: is it that you're actually making the money or that's how you see yourself? That
1: I'm actually, you know, covering the bills this month as a cinematographer and screenwriter. And in a way that that not how most people think of, there are people that want to make stuff. And the double-edged sword of film is that it is absolutely not a solo project. I, I can't even run a camera department. I, I can't be a cinematographer by myself. I have to have two assistant camera people at least to really get what I need done. I guess it's this thing it's like I'm working on these really small projects that aren't going to go anywhere most likely but people believe in them enough to invest in them to pay people to people like me to to do that it's it's kind of crazy and hopefully it leads to to more work and I get to work on you know I get to be a a cinematographer or an actor in something that people will see. But yeah, I just, I guess that's the thing. I think, you know, a couple of years ago, I don't think I would have been prepared to allow that to be my only source of income Mm -hmm. unless it was matching the level of income I was making as a salesperson, which is ridiculous because about a tenth of a percent of the actors out there are living on their acting. Most people are doing it for the Mm -hmm. love of it or trying to do it for the love of it. But it's just nice to be disconnected from income to be in a place where I can either live off of my previous earnings or cover the bills on these projects.
0: It's so funny you mentioned that because I think about that a lot. I mean, I was thinking about that this morning and we'll call it the preparation that I was doing for this recording. But what you just said, I mean, I, I was thinking about that and I was thinking about the beginning of this journey that both of us have been on respectively started. I think it was kind of a gray area, but for me, at least it started about two years ago and we were walking in -hmm. the Marina and some certain major things in my life were coming to an end, but I remember being really excited about it and I didn't have a vision for what I wanted my life to look like. I just knew that there was going to be a path that was going to reveal itself. And the fact that, I mean, the fact that you did and not to get all sappy on you, but you've been a huge inspiration to me in terms of simply living that for yourself. There was nothing that you could have said to me that was more powerful than leaving a successful corporate track career and saying, you know what, I'm going to drop all of this. And most people would say, yeah, that's really cool, but it's also crazy. And, you know, I, I, I have the same reaction. And when I tell people what I'm doing, but well, yeah, yeah I, I was just feeling really yeah. lucky this morning and acknowledging too. I mean, you said what well, you said is in a different way, but yeah. we're very really lucky.
1: Yeah, no, it's that's a whole I feel like that's a, a whole other can of worms to just God. <laughs> it's a thing that I ultimately struggle with about feeling like it almost doesn't feel fair. But yeah, mm-hmm. but I wanted to oh, just to go back. You said that I was an inspiration, which I and I'm just kind of have to almost wave off because we've been on very similar paths for a while. And the joke, you know, is like I was living your life on a nine month or a six month time delay about moving in and right. even down to the same street, leaving jobs and relationships and all this stuff. But I was just grateful for you being, you've been as much of an example for me, I guess. And like you walked away from a high paying, great job to take a big gamble on, on a company that lots of people would also call that crazy. Anyway, I just want to say that it, uh, it's a two-way street. So I appreciate that,
0: man. I, and, I and we think, may just cut um, this, right.
1: Cause like the audience may not I mean, care it, about how much we love each other, but, yeah, but I, I, you know, I mean, who knows yeah, what people true. care about? We'll see what happens in the
0: comments <laughs> section. But I mean, I think, I think a, a lot of this, when I think about my sales career, like my call it entrepreneurial mm-hmm. career, and then my, my current creative and writing career is that the times that I've been the happiest and all of that is when I really enjoyed what I was doing. And even though when I was in sales, I was in an industry that most people would not say was particularly sexy, but there were many years when I mm-hmm. really loved what I was doing. And I worked with great people yep. at my company. I worked with really great clients and the day-to-day I really enjoyed it. So it wasn't like, oh, you know, corporate sucks. Screw Mm -hmm. the man, I have to get out. It was far from that, but it was more of like you start rising up in an organization, there becomes all these other things that start happening. And self-promotion takes more (laughs) and more time. And it becomes, I really don't, I don't actually have judgment. I understand why a lot of corporations are, why it is that way. It's not a matter of judgment, but, that, that just wasn't for me. And, you know, and it's the same thing too, right? Like you spent a lot of time, we spent a lot of time on this company that didn't work out, but I I certainly don't consider that time wasted. Yeah. And, And I think that like, why even like today in this recording and, you know, starting to send out these episodes, I mean, what, what I really, what I'm really excited about now is to start having opportunities to have my work, your work, and some other people we know their work starting to connect with other people. Yeah. And there's so much has gone into this in a way. There's so much preparation and like I've done so much work in isolation and really you Mm -hmm. have too. And so, so for there to be a time for it to, I don't know, become public in a way I think is really is exciting. And I think, Along this thought line, I'm really excited for what's next, whereas that that had ceased to be the case
1: in my prior life. Interesting. Yeah. It just makes me think about the conversation we've had about regret. I do feel like that could be a whole other episode. That's what I have in my nice. mind, my friend.
0: For, I think, what will be the next <laughs> time you come on. The, the, the topic idea was, I regret oh, nothing
1: so much there and I just yeah 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 discuss I love that yeah so then I I won't let us rabbit hole on that and we can save that for another time and I think here let's pause
0: for a moment and then we can then we can go into the topic I think and we're back and we're back all right buddy it was good to have a break reflect on our intro here which (laughs) yeah I don't know I
1: mean how much stuff about masturbating can we really leave in the Hey, man, it, I I used, I just know who some of your next guests are, and it might be worth having lots of perspective on that subject, but the only thing I'm worried about is that I might be known as the, the masturbation guest, you know? You
0: know, it's funny, because I, I was actually thinking about this as we, we just took a quick break right. here. And I think, first of all, I was thinking that Julia's parents, my parents, will be listening, mm-hmm. but... I think in general, I think most people just don't want to take themselves so seriously. Yeah. So I think it's going to be fine.
1: Right. You know, I think that's the thing. Like, one of the big, like, differences, too, in the the difference between elder millennials and younger millennials is that we were raised in the situation where we were like, there might be a record of us doing something on the internet that will come back to bite us. And Mm -hmm. younger millennials are like, I'm a human. I know who I am, and I'm well, okay with who I am. Well, speaking of who you are, two things.
0: <laughs> One is that people might not know who I am. I can't remember if I said my name or not. I don't know. At the beginning of yeah. this, but I think if they'd gotten this far, they clearly don't care. That's true. You um, can always go back and so, record it, too. And just back. Hey. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of feel like the authenticity is more important. It's like, yeah, I forgot to say it, or I didn't read my plug or whatever. But I should say, I'm Dan Villarreal, And that might sound familiar, because I cut that back into the beginning. So there, it'll be there. And then (laughs) then, then, then we don't have anything to worry about. And then I think
1: we should probably get into the topic.
0: Well, I feel I like, like I, I, I think I've everyone's been waiting you a
1: big, a really nice I know. intro. And I wish we had you really we had said really did, but should I go back and
0: do it again? Right. Or, or we've got it. Yeah, I don't think I don't think so, on. because we started talking about my intro and then I lost my train of All thought right. because you did give me a really great segue. Yeah. But I think what's most important is that we get to the topic, because, again, everyone's been waiting this whole time to hear us discuss yeah. the title of the episode, which. I think not surprisingly, we've touched on in a number of different ways, but the topic for this week is, who do you think you are? Yeah. So Spencer, who do you think you are?
1: Wow. Well, I, I do think, you know, those two intro questions that you that you asked me are very closely related to this, or I, I was, was was dancing around it, realizing it's the same question, but two very different situations, corporate. America right. or a blind date both of which there's much questions about first impressions and really in no way am I trying to get into my conception of myself during a first impression well there were actually <laughs> there were actually more questions, oh there were Are we, but we're, you know well, rattle um, them off really quickly if it's one question I'll talk for 10 minutes if it's 10 questions I'll talk for one minute
0: okay <laughs> well the the next question and this is still first impression yeah. based was the same question, tell me about yourself, but you are meeting your significant other's parents for the first okay. time. The next one was, you're on the top of a mountain. You can make a confession. You can say whatever you want. No one will ever know. Tell me about yourself.
1: Uh, that's unfair, isn't it? Well, no. Well, um... no. I think, it, I mean, <laughs> sorry, I, I paused because I'm like, on one hand, that's what's your deepest, darkest secret? By the way, we're on a podcast. Like, right. let me tell you about. It's like, are you asking me to talk cryptically about this thing? It's just, it's impossible to talk about this thing. <laughs> Tell me about what you would scream into the void, but do that while you're on this podcast with me. What's great is that right. this is the first episode, so you haven't built your listener base yet. But so it's, it may be, it <laughs> right. might so, be an actual like total s- seven people. So, so it might be more or less the same thing, but but that's right. an interesting situation. And it just also makes me think about, I have a friend that references this allegedly mediocre movie the razor's edge with bill murray where he goes to the top of a mountain and his realization is i get it now it's easy to be spiritual at the mountaintop mm. which is just an interesting concept you, you take this time to withdraw meditating pausing is the like active removal from the hustle and bustle of life so that you can reflect you realize what you want to be doing but then you immediately go back off the top of the mountain into the valley, into the village, and you are confronted with all these things that you cannot control. And you find it gets much harder to be spiritual in the face of this world that is not as stable and controlled and isolated as the top of a mountain. So it's interesting the way that you went with that, because
0: what that made me think of was more to the effect of rather than there being, is is it that there's distractions or Is it that you don't have time, you don't have time to pause, you only have time to react?
1: On top of the mountain, your only concern is your spiritual pursuit and meeting your physical needs. Whereas in life, you have responsibilities to, I think maybe it's the responsibilities to other people or the perceived responsibility to other people or what you said too, the reaction, the need to respond. And it doesn't have to be a reaction. And I think broadly speaking, a lot of the work that you and I have spoken about, or just in general, there's this like, how do I get to a position where I can respond to something and not just react? Like, how do I get a moment, like a millisecond of pause that allows me to not react in fear, but respond in intelligent kindness? That's kind of what we're always aiming for so it's it's just a lot easier when your only concern is (laughs) meditation at the top of a mountain i don't know if that made sense but
0: no it it makes sense i mean i think that this is resonant even of the discussion that we were having earlier Mm -hmm. it's very easy very easy it's it's easier for sure to be happy or to be to be calm patient to live to the spiritual principles that you're referring to when you have the luxury of not having timelines, not having the same responsibilities. It certainly makes it yeah. much easier.
1: Yeah. That's my non-answer to your mountaintop question, is to talk around it. And then just going back to the potential future parents-in-law situation. It's yeah, it's just so funny, like having been in that that situation a, a few times. it's just it's just interesting thinking about how I have answered those questions or how I have. Or it's just that first impression is that. I'm what you always hoped for your, I'm just trying to be what they always hoped for their daughter. Like the all American guy with, you know, right. a good set of hair and a nice smile. And I'm not trying to be anything right. more than that.
0: And that's not any sort of statement about them. I mean, it's more of, it's out of respect for the fact that. Yeah, I just. They want their child to be with a,
1: with a good solid person. Yeah. Who has,
0: who has Yeah, good basically
1: I just, I'm as dependable as my hairline, which is. Like, speaking of lucky. <laughs> and it's funny too. It's just I think all of these things are there's a lot of stuff that I benefit from that I'm not remotely responsible for. And that's very quickly a huge conversation. But yeah, we can it really is we can I mean put a pin in that one.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like we can we could have a whole conversation about why certain things are valued. That's primarily based around the chin. <laughs> and and your hairline, which i i would argue actually that the value placed on that is not socially constructed but rather biologically and evolutionarily constructed but
1: perhaps we can go into that
0: uh, in i i, I think time. you're right
1: that the societal value is based on these more kind of physical factors too like, that—that that, that it's rooted in that, but I think to, in this day and age, to call it anything but arbitrary is, you know, you can, like, oh, the roots are based in blah, 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 but like, it does on some level feel pretty arbitrary. But, mm-hmm. you know what? Maybe we, yeah, I, yeah maybe we debate that later. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Right. Nature versus nurture. I feel like I have that conversation. I've been having that conversation yeah. a lot. Lately, in a whole bunch of different mm-hmm. ways. I hope I get to have Morgan on because I want to talk to him oh, about man. some of that stuff. What a guy! There's a whole bunch of people that I hope to have on. He's definitely awesome. one of them. I won't pressure him, but you know, I hope Doug will come on.
1: Oh yeah, God, that guy is working so much right now. I'm just really happy for him. It's just a funny thing being in the film industry. That's like, it is feast or famine. It feels like um, sure, but he's getting a lot of good. Attention right now, which is awesome.
0: That actually reminds me. Did you actually have your interview that he or excuse me, your your audition? <laughs> that yeah,
1: I know. You know what's funny? I was talking to, uh, a, your to another that... friend yesterday, and he couldn't remember the name for an audition. And he was like, <laughs> "How did your movie interview go?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's what I want to refer to <laughs> from now on." The audition went well. I, you know, this is actually something I did want to talk about in the subject of who do I think I am, because it's been this interesting progression and acting feels like a new progression in my conception of self, but that I, so let me kind of mm-hmm. put a pin in that, but, and I really do want to sure. come back to that. Cause I think it's a, it's one of my, I do too. Yeah. Uh, like most interesting thoughts of the year that I, <laughs> that I've had through conversations. Cause know, I'll, I'll tell more about that, but, but the audition went well and it, and it was, it, you know, acting is a, it's an interesting thing because you are being someone else. But I can't remember who it was who said this, but acting is behaving truthfully under imaginary circumstances. And so the other angle to getting to the point I'm trying to say is the story about Jack Lemon being directed by Billy Wilder. And Billy Wilder kept saying, you got to do less on this next take, Jack. And Jack would have a, a, a little bit smaller run through the scene. And then he was like, no, you got to do less. You got to do less. And he said, if I do any less, I won't be acting. And Billy Wilder just looks at him and says, exactly. And this audition was interesting because it starts with someone pulling a gun on me and I'm in my living room in front of a blue sheet (laughs) and (laughs) having to (laughs) basically give myself the adrenaline rush of having a shotgun in my face. And it was just an interesting thing. I was grateful for Doug because he made me do like basically enough burpees that I was about to throw up. And then he said, okay, stand up now. I'm going (laughs) to give you two seconds to catch your breath. And then I'm going to roll. And that was the take that we ended up using. And my agent loved it. And it was, you know, one of these things, like I sent it to a few people before submitting it to the casting director. And they were, they were like, this is, it's great. But because I was so out of breath from the burpees, I was able to kind of back my way into this level of adrenaline that otherwise would take me 15 minutes to really build into. Like, sometimes there's just a quicker way to get to that level of intensity than actually closing my eyes. And I don't know. There's that terrible, sorry, I was about to make a a weird pop culture reference to a bad Kevin Costner movie about baseball, no, not Field of Dreams, where he like has this thing where, anyway, it's just, it's it's for the love of the game. um, He's the pitcher and he- You mean amazing sure like i you know what i, I was, love that movie 14 how old were we when that movie came out i i saw it basically right when it came out and i just don't trust myself it was so a, good as a movie critic at that point but that whole thing where he says clear the mechanism and like that's how he's able to turn the yeah. crowd noise off that is so much mental effort and sometimes you just have to back into it and kind of get into this place where yeah but no the short answer is that the audition went well, and thanks for asking. <laughs> it, it is so funny you
0: mentioned that yeah. scene, or I guess yeah. it happens a few times in that movie. Because, I mean, I can't remember the last time that anybody referenced this movie. I think the only person that I've ever talked to about it is, oh, okay. is my dad. Because I oh, grew up right. playing baseball, and uh-huh. I was a pitcher and that scene where he says clear the mechanism and he goes into this tunnel vision or being in the zone or in like flow or Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it is very very real and i would be fascinated to know the research and the different you know professional athletes Uh that they talk to that help them design that scene because even just playing in high school i had that specific experience where you have this moment where all you can see really is the catcher and even the batter, everything else is kind of like blurred out. And there's just this one thing. And I even have this memory. It's just like weird stuff from growing up and playing baseball. And I remember, you know, we're talking like, this is like Little League baseball, right? This isn't some professional league, but I remember there was this game and I'm from Sacramento. So Little League baseball was a big thing because I remember there just being so many people at this game. We're playing this other county or whatever it was. And there's all these people there on Friday night and there's lights and everything. And for some reason, like things were starting to get heated in a way that they really should <laughs> when, when children sure. are playing sports or teenagers or whatever. But I just remember the other team, it was like this tense moment near the end of the game and parent. I mean, these are not fans. These are parents from the other team were up against the fence and they're slamming their hands against the fence and rattling the fence and screaming. This pitcher fucking sucks. And then I did yeah. have that moment though, where despite all of this insanity, you kind of just like, you kind of zone in.
1: No, totally. Uh, I, and I think that's the, uh, just flow state is such a, it's interesting. I, I'm like grateful to have been able to experience it in a lot of different worlds or, or not worlds, but like pursuits, I guess, like having, having similar experience from rowing, being in the, in that like flow state where it, where it's just you and what you're doing and nothing else. And that's when sort of the success comes from, but coming back to acting, that's actually how I know I've got the good take that I, I have almost no memory of anything <laughs> because it was just, right. I was just doing that thing. And it's like when you're actually honestly wholeheartedly in something or like you're wholeheartedly describing a feeling and then someone is like oh my gosh say that again you're like i don't know what i just said because it because you weren't thinking about what this other person was thinking about what you were saying and 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 that's just anyway it's just it's funny how we were able to do another little teaser for the audience at home about (laughs) what were dan spencer talking about and who else else was was there that's true oh my gosh because someone else someone, else someone else was else there and i a, hope i hope that i actually that would be amazing i, I yeah, really
0: hope true. that she will be because i think that we'll speak about her sure. anonymously in case she's not interested in being involved in any way but yeah the path that she's taken i think has been really has been really awesome inspiring. and inspiring yeah I, I would love to have her on and for sure and talk about that I'll, and i mean she's part she's totally. part of the
1: origin so totally Well, it's also just funny thinking about how that conversation was at most three years ago, but thinking about how incredibly different all three of us are and like how exciting that is, truthfully, like to be so dramatically different, like the facts of our lives are so different. The physical facts of our lives are so different. Our worldview is so dramatically different for all three of us. And the template is at the highest level, almost exactly exactly the same. same. Yeah
0: which is leave corporate to do something different. But let's circle back. Yeah, yeah. You wanted so to put so a thinking about in, that,
1: that question um, of who do I think I am, I'm an actor, I'm a filmmaker, a cinematographer, but really the thing that I'm pursuing the most right now is acting. And it's the thing that excites me the most. And it's, it's this thing that I just had never really allowed myself to pursue, partially because... A lot of the times when I've met people who are like, I'm an actor, I'm like, that person is so annoying. Like, actors are annoying people. You know, I knew an actor who was like, well, us actors, we just feel more than, than other people. And that's why we're, we do what we do. And I just was like, oh my fucking God, I am not one of those people. Part of the reason why I've resisted acting for so long is, I don't know, I'm gonna come across like a dick saying this, but it's just, there are people in, in your theater department in school that are there because <laughs> they're good at this, they love it, they're super socially smart, they are students of human behavior. A light goes off inside of them when they get to inhabit someone else and sort of experience human experience through the words of what the the playwright or the screenwriter has written. And getting to play in that space of human experience, there's something just really wonderful and pure about that. And then there are, you know, theater departments in high school are also a place for your typical theater geek, who is like a lot of, you know, I just like being a teenager just sucks. And so there are weird people in the theater world. There are weird people in the art world. There are weird people literally everywhere, actually. But part of the reason that I didn't want to ever identify as an actor is because the people who were the loudest about identifying as, as an actor were the people that, in my 17-year-old asshole worldview, just fucking losers. Let me take this a little bit farther with this idea
0: because partly where I I think that you're going with this in a way is the people who really wanted to do the thing versus the people who maybe wanted to say that they were doing it. And I think that that's very similar to the conversation about about an introduction. (laughs) Totally. I mean, very simply, right? The guy who's the the music composer and that's something that he was really interested in and that's how he spent his time. That's what made him happy. That's what he wanted to share with other people. And it, it could be, it doesn't matter really what it is. I mean, somebody could feel that same way about trading commodities <laughs> yeah, or sure. something, right? I I guess, right? It It doesn't really matter, but it is interesting answering that question, the introduction question or hypothetically mm-hmm. answering that question and then wondering does that person really believe that,
1: or do they think that i wanted to hear that oh man i think it's been funny watching this transition out of corporate world into pursuing acting and filmmaking the the first seed for me really was when i had gotten i had just gotten recruited by the company where i found the most success in my career they were paying me more money than I ever thought I would ever be paid. I like always hoped to make a lot of money, but I was, it was just it just felt like funny money at the time, and I had let that be this incredible definition of who I was because I could quantify it. And I went to this wedding with my best friend from high school, who we had become friends in the theater department, and she was one of the only people, she's actually the only person from high school I've stayed in touch with. And she, it was her wedding and there were all these other theater people there and they couldn't, they were like, hey, so what are you up to? I was like, oh my gosh, I'm working for this company where, you know, I'm a, like, I'm managing a, ter-. it was just this, they like couldn't care less about how much money I was making mm-hmm. and how much, or, and it was just, and I, it was this thing that like, I started to realize, oh, wait, this isn't actually. I will just say that on this, like the broader journey of who do I think I am has been such a a hard question that I have really felt like, I feel like in my 20s, I really tried to answer it about who do I think I should be and how can I be that person that I should be? And the should is so built on this external validation and this like outside in way of thinking about the world. And so it's just interesting thinking that I wasn't totally sure what I wanted to do after college, but I was good at rowing. I just was drawn to this thing that is incredibly objective. It is based around competition and you either won the race or you didn't. There's no, that's the only, it's the only way it goes, right? You're either faster than the person next to you or you're not. And I had three, four years of my life that were simply defined by, does it make the boat go faster (laughs) faster? Every question boiled down to that, and that it's just this right. completely external thing. And then getting injured and leaving that that path and ending up in sales, where literally the only thing that matters is did you sell it or did you get the deal or not? It doesn't matter if you had a great conversation or that you had you made good progress. It's is the deal done or is the deal not? Done? How much money did you make the company? And pursuing that sort of external validate like this thing that's like incredibly objective and and external and your whole value is based around how much revenue you can create. Now moving into acting where I guess that's the other thing in sales, in order to get the deal done. And part of why I was really good was I was able to show up as the person who you needed me to be in order to get the deal done. Sure. And so a lot of people have heard that and been like, well, and I was like, oh, that, that was sort of a morally, emotionally, like, degrading, eroding, like, just, it just really wore on me. And I remember having a a guy we both know ask me, what would your life look like if you weren't lying for a living? And I just remember being like, (laughs) so mad, because I was like, you clearly don't understand what I do. But then realizing I didn't have this conception of who I was and that was part of the success. And as I started to realize that I did really love and I had limitless energy around filmmaking and writing and getting in front of the camera that like that's what I wanted to be doing, all of a sudden everything that I had to do for work started to I started to realize the real emptiness of the fact that I was someone else all the time. And and that's kind of what kicked off this this sort of journey. And I was talking to a friend a couple of weeks ago and he he said, he's like, well, isn't acting more of the same? You are being someone else. And what's interesting is that what we say a lot about movie and television acting is that it's not about the words, it's about your thoughts and feelings. And they can, the camera sees the truth. The camera sees what you're thinking and feeling in a way that you don't always catch it in person. And so when I show up as an actor and I'm being someone else, the camera sees it and the acting sucks. And so what I have to do is going back to what I said earlier is live truthfully (laughs) to myself under these imaginary circumstances. And that's what makes the performance good and, and real. I have to let go of all external, like I cannot be thinking about what you think of me. I cannot be thinking, I have to be in that state where I don't even really know what I'm saying. I have to be so honestly connected to my core. And it's just been, so it's like in a way pursuing acting where I'm literally being someone else for a living. I'm actually being myself in the most honest way. And my success in acting is dependent on me being incredibly connected to myself. I don't know if that, hopefully that made sense right. and that was succinct and not too. Let's,
0: Let's
1: just say that one or two things, <laughs> one or two things
0: uh, resonated with me because I, I, think, I yeah. think that there's a lot of interesting stuff here. I mean, I think one is that you talked about the objectivity of certain sure. things that you've done, be it rowing or sales. And, and in some ways, I think objectivity, that clarity makes things so much easier. And it was you that said, and here, this may be another thing that you don't remember saying, and I don't know if this was an original or if this was a a quote, because it sounds like one, but you said something to the effect of the easiest thing to do in the world is to get up every morning and do as you're told. And I just thought of that now because... That I did really appreciate that about sales in the sense that it yeah. was very clear. We're selling contracts mm-hmm. and you either sold it or you didn't. And you, you tried really hard or you didn't try really hard or somewhere in between or you got lucky or unlucky. You can talk about all that with your right. director, but it doesn't really matter. All that really matters is, is what happened. And, and there is some freedom to that. But then the other side that you were describing, I think is really interesting. And I, sales to me, and maybe I just like to tell myself this, even though I'm not an actor and most likely never will be, but that salespeople are just really good at operating in frames. That's what sales is. You're stepping into a frame and then you're operating within it. You are yourself, but you're being someone else. You're being the person that is being helpful to the customer, whatever it is, which can be a really good thing. And I, I don't think it would come off this way because I don't think that either of us would disparage sales despite oh, some of the things we
1: may have said. I mean, to be honest, I, I wish it had filled me. Yeah, I, I love it, and I <laughs> it, it, because it's like, oh man, my life. I, it would have just been easier, right? And and
0: I think the the skills that so many that that we learn that so many oh, people yeah. learn are, are really incredible. And that I think a lot of the the stereotypes about sales make it seem like this kind of broy like hard pressing sort of industry, but there there are a lot of amazing skills in terms of patience in terms yeah. of problem solving and being really focused on helping other people solve their problems. There's a lot of good things, but you know you mentioned the other side of it, and this is something somebody had said to me many years ago, and this this was meant to be advice in terms of sales and the the comment was you can say
1: what you want to say, or you can say what you need to say to get what you want. (laughs) On one hand, I'm like, what could be problematic about that? That's just efficiency. And then on the other hand, I'm like, I've never heard a more problematic (laughs) worldview. Like, it's just like, it is is just so interesting being able to straddle that line. And it's an interesting thing that just two years ago, three years ago, as a sales guy hearing that, I'm not good at that. I'm great at that. And I'm proud of how good I am at that and then also recognizing that if right. I said that in front of my parents my mom in particular like she might start crying <laughs> because she she's like my son is the devil <laughs> yeah
0: exactly. she would be devastated yeah. how could you live your life yeah. like that it is interesting because i think it i think most people who hear that yeah. their reaction would be that sounds horrible but i i do too i, I do see uh, I was going to say merit. I don't know if that's the right word, but I I do see situations in specific sales contexts where it it makes sense in that a lot of times when you're when you're dealing with a customer or in some sort of sales deal, oftentimes the best thing yeah. to say <laughs> is is nothing. And that's not a matter of right. it's not a matter of lying by omission as much as like it's often better to not blur the line with superfluous details. When you're focused on something, it can be easy to get excited about something like, oh, we have this advantage and this advantage, whatever, but it's, they want to talk about what, you know, how they're specifically solving a given problem and everything else is kind of, is kind of irrelevant. I might think that this feature is really cool or I'd want to hear myself give this sort of pitch or something. But if I can hold back on that. But then obviously the other side of it is it sounds like an an invitation to to just lie, basically.
1: We both have hired and trained salespeople that have worked for us. But that last year for me, I must have hired maybe 20 people and was in charge of training them. And their success was my success. So it was this thing where... I told them right away, you are going to be pretty good at this at first, and then you're going to start sucking. And then you're going to get really good at this, maybe three months into it. Your first month, you're going to be good because you don't know enough to say too much. And then that'll keep you from talking too much. And then you're going to learn everything and you're going to want to say everything. And then that's going to make you worse as a salesperson. And then around three months, you're going to know what to say in every situation and not say anything more than that. And that's when you're going to start getting really good and really consistent. But the reason people are good at the beginning right. with sales is that they all they know is we have a product, it does X, and the reason we're talking is because you need it. <laughs> Obviously, sales is way more complicated than that. But learning what not to say is way more important than learning what to say. There's an
0: the advantage of knowing only what's on the first page of the contract. Yeah. Versus the whole 50 page contract because no one's going to. No one cares about the rest of it. Yeah. um, Or it just doesn't make any sense. And I think here let's pause for a moment. Cool. So we're back. I wanted to come back to someone that you mentioned and we won't say his name. But the guy that asked you that question about what would your life look like if you weren't doing a job where you had to lie. Right. I was talking with another one of our friends last night Mm -hmm. who said that that guy would be a really great person to have on
1: oh my god i I can't
0: help but agree right
1: yeah i mean i i would love to hear that actually it would be amazing yeah i mean just to as a way of introduction the first time i met him we were walking to breakfast in in new york city and I, you know, there was a, a large group of friends, but he knew that I was from out of town. So he was welcoming and, and talking to me about myself. And it was, it was this great welcoming moment, but I said something and he responded to it in such a way that I literally stopped in my tracks. It's the only time I've like truly had to stop. He was able to nail me in such a way or ask a question in such a way. I, I don't remember what it was, but I remember the effect. And it was like, oh my gosh, talk about a first impression where we've been talking about it, where we try to not really be seen and not really talk about who I think I am. And yet this guy was able to actually see me in that way. It was pretty incredible. And no, he would be a great person. I would yeah, love to hear him talk about any number of these subjects that we've covered today. So he
0: just has this way of cutting through you in a really good way i mean i mean that i mean that in the best way yeah
1: and i think that he has the willingness to do it that's an interesting distinction to make and we learn to do this in in sales especially or we are like financially incentivized to do this in sales where you see someone say something and you're like i think i understand everything about you but But i don't want to say that because it's sort of socially unacceptable or if i've got it wrong then it's so high risk and so low reward in so many situations Mm, to be able to try to get to that level of depth with someone as quickly as he does. A lot of people are not willing to take that risk. And it it is why we, I think we have so many sort of superficial friendships with people.
0: Right. I, I think too, that when I think about, that and spe- specifically being his willingness. Yeah, is a lot of times, I think if we have a, a thought about another person, that the inclination is to say it to another person, which kind of results in bad motives, <laughs> right? Like that idea of, oh, I'm saying this about this person because it's gonna help other people understand them. But my motive is really, is not good. And that if I were really, I don't know exactly what the right word is, but when you say something really, we'll call it direct to somebody else, there's, it, it's, a, it's an entirely different situation, I guess. Whereas some of these things, like if he, whatever the question he asked, if he had asked that or said that to somebody else about you, it may come off as very unkind. But the fact that he said it to you directly I think it implies this different intention because he didn't say that to like, to sound cool. He said that because he genuinely thought that it would help
1: you. Right. Right. It's an interesting thing. You know, I, I have been asked to read a number of scripts or I've been offered work on certain projects where I'm reading the script where it hasn't been explicitly my place to give feedback on it. And I am very honest about the script with certain people, but not the people who wrote the script and not the people who are involved in that project. And the takeaway here is that I've been reading a lot of like pretty mediocre scripts and writing scripts are really hard and I'm not judging these people or anything in it, but I wonder if I should be, it's like trying to find the right place, but I had to withdraw from a project because I, I didn't like the script and. It was one of these things that it's like, oh, I might have. I don't know. I'd say I, I, I wish I had been willing to sort of go through that discomfort of being able to say that there are problems with the script and I can't be a part of it in its current form. But this, these are my notes. I'm honored that you would ask me. You know, it's just such a hard thing to navigate, giving someone feedback in a direct way.
0: As you were saying that, it made me think that I was imagining you giving that feedback and then someone saying, who do you think you are? Right. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> and, hilarious. And yeah. and it's sort of, it is an interesting question, right? Of what is my place in this? Right. And in a micro moment, like who do I think I am? What do I think my role is? Man. Like, yeah. I, I, I think about that. This is really, really, really silly, but I've been watching a lot of The Great British Baking show. Love because that show. it's just... I just like watching nice people be nice to each other. It's just really pleasant. And even the critiques, I think the the undertone is still still very kind.
1: You know, it's true, um, actually. Paul Hollywood is a master class in kind, direct, yeah. direct negative feedback. I know. So I simple. I imagining
0: myself giving that feedback <laughs> yeah. to people in real life. Like, my mom bakes me muffins. I'm like, these are underbaked. Yeah. You know, or this is massively underproved.
1: Right? like you wouldn't <laughs>
0: go over to your friend's house and your friend's mom makes you dinner and you say like tastes great just looks horrible. You wouldn't say that and it is kind of a a dumb example but it calls into question what is my role yeah. in this given
1: situation. Well, it's funny just kind of going back to we were talking when we were making conversation in the pre-roll kind of like how are our days going? I'm I'm helping someone with their audition and it's great to be able to. Like we are she and I are at this point where I should be clear. I was helping my girlfriend with her audition. I don't know why I anonymized it so much, but so I'm helping her with her audition. And we're at this point now where I can be really, really direct. And like, it's super kind. And it's just like, that take didn't work because your eyes were here and here. And there's no, there's no deeper meaning than just we're both working to get this audition to work. So If it doesn't work, why beat around the bush? Let's just say these are the reasons why it's not working and let's make it better. And and what's helped me do that, I guess, is the definition of my place in that specific relationship of, of we're working together for her to get a good audition. And it's helpful to specify. I think I'm supposed to be giving you direct feedback and she's asking for it explicitly to give that feedback. It's just an interesting thing. I don't know. And it's just, but it is funny because it can be really hard to assume that position of authority. What that makes me think of is, is how important it is
0: for any given person to both be a mentor and be mentored. Yeah. Or to lead and be led and then also to have peers too, right? You kind of need to be, you need to be in all places. Yeah. Because the, those dynamics, even if they're a construct of some type, it does really help you because if you're a mentor and you're in the position of giving advice, then it it grants you the license to do that. Whereas if you're the, the mentee or you're being led by somebody else in a professional capacity or whatever you're in the position of receiving advice and then it helps you develop that skill. It's interesting. But just, what you're talking about yeah. is it's hard to do that in platonic relationships or even romantic relationships where the structure
1: in a given moment, even is very unclear. Yeah. It's just a hard, I don't know. My, my girlfriend and I talk about this a lot about wanting or desiring a community where we can give each other clear direct feedback especially acting all of this stuff it's just it takes a lot of bravery to put yourself out there as an actor as a writer as a director as a filmmaker and we all want to be better we all need good feedback in order to get better but how to do that without feeling like we're tearing each other down or a lot of people actually don't want the feedback and i'll admit i mean i do not like getting negative feedback I do not like being told, of course not, you know, like what I'm doing isn't, no one wants to be told that they,
0: you know, spent like their entire life essentially like working towards a moment that failed.
1: Right. Yeah. And you know, what's funny too is that a lot of us, I I mean, I, I think, you know, negative feedback is that area is that probably that biggest area for growth for me around being able to respond and not react. But I, when I think back on the places where I was the most, you know, these like really like important turning points in my success as a rower or my success as a salesperson was when someone took the time to sit me down and say, this doesn't work. What you're doing isn't working and you need to stop it. And I was like, yeah, okay. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for telling me. Like the negative feedback was the most important part of my development. And so it's like, why am I afraid of it? And I'm actually not I'm so much less afraid of it now, but like knowing that it's actually this incredible act of, of service to be able to to tell someone that what they're doing isn't working. It's like, why do we shy away from it so much? And, and And it is what makes, you know, that friend that we are leaving unnamed right now until hopefully he shows up as a guest, but what makes him so special and like such a distinctive person Is that he has that willingness with so many people to be honest and give clear feedback. And even when he's off, if he's off base. Right.
0: It's still helpful because it reinforces, it it either reinforces or challenges what you believe, but it forces you to question what you believed, thought,
1: or were doing. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I, I, one of the most valuable friendships I've had was with a guy that I honestly hated. Just <laughs> and, and, and we were rivals in everything, but because it was such, a, we were in the same friend group, but it was weird. Like we competed for four friends in the friend group. It was just a weird thing, but we disagreed on almost everything, on a how to approach everything. And that conflict helped me understand who I am and and who I wanted to be and being challenged in these things. Oh man, that's so interesting. I'm just thinking about my sense of self. I want to define it by these external successes, but as I'm realizing it, it may actually be through sort of the failures or through the negative, through conflict is how I've been able to be the most sure of myself.
0: It's the only way that it gets tested. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting thing to think about though, yeah. The same reason that that any sort of personal development comes from pain that usually resulted from our own mistakes. If we engage in certain behaviors that cause harm in our lives, we're only gonna really deal with that when it creates a a problem that's big enough where it's kind of thrown in our face. And I mean, I've had (laughs) similar experiences from the, but you're talking about, it's the same idea, but from a different side with like a challenge to your sense of self, because you didn't do something wrong that induced this. It's more that you hold this belief. I hold this belief about myself. Like for example, and this this is resonant of a lot of things we've been talking about and some things we were talking about in the pre-show, but it took me a long time where I was writing every day before I was willing to start acknowledging more broadly that I was a writer. It wasn't so much about saying that to other people, it was more about being willing to say that to myself and accept the everything that went along with that. I mean, it was just kind of easier for some time to, to say oh, I'm on a sabbatical, right? right? Like that, that just, it made light of my situation versus spoke to the gravity of it for me. And I'll speak about this in general, but somebody close to me basically said, you know, when I was talking about what I was doing, said, well, there's a lot of writers and most of them don't make a lot of money. And I feel grateful that I was at a point when I heard that I was convicted in what I was doing. It wasn't bravado in the way that I've had you know, bravado totally. about maybe some other things in, in my life. It was more of, well, I made this decision. I feel that I I did it for good reasons. I am genuinely happy. And then also I can understand why somebody else would, would say something like that. But it's like those moments when to the outside, it, it sounds like that would have been a really painful experience. But because of a year of more than a year of work, going this direction, I'm using my hand to demonstrate the direction. I'm sure <laughs> that's really helpful for everyone. You know, that I have this moment of being, being challenged. It's not like, oh, I don't care, but it's a triangulation. It, it helps me understand where I am relative to, to what I'm doing in a way that I wouldn't have been able to without that challenge which i think is what you were saying as well yeah. yeah yeah and i think what's i was thinking about this from the other direction too though i think we kind of touched on this a little bit in the pre-show but i was thinking about confidence and there's like a whole there's a whole long lead in here but in the last 4 years i've done a lot of reading about malignant narcissism yeah. <laughs> um, i've been driven to do that by external events in society which i think i would imagine a lot of people have done and if you start reading on about malignant narcissism, you're going to get to all of these, you know, different articles, but you're going to get to things about sense of self, and then inevitably to self confidence. And then you'll get to a line somewhere that says something to the effect of the biggest determinant in a person's success is confidence, which is really interesting, right? And this is we were talking about in the pre-show, this is where it kind of ties together. Whoever said this quote, they said it better than me, and we can look it up and put it out later in its cited form. But basically that the problem with the world is, is that the foolish people are filled with confidence and the smart people are filled right. with doubts. There is this interesting thing of like, how do we build confidence? Cause I, th- and I think creative work is a good proxy for that discussion, because I think a lot of people, myself included, you give so much to your creative work. To receive negative feedback about it like, could be really crushing to get positive feedback could actually be really helpful in terms of the process. I'll write short articles or something. I will read them to my girlfriend. And then she'll just say, that was great. You should publish that. It makes me realize that it's, it's not, she's not being disingenuous, but there is some sort of value to say, you wrote this or you created this, whatever it is, it's done. And it's just time to, it's time to let go of yeah. it. And it's not necessarily time to let go of it again, because it's so good. It's time to let go of it because that's part of the process. And then by letting go of it, then you actually build confidence. And so the positive comment that does like it maybe gives you the confidence to take the next step, but the, like the letting go, and maybe this is really the same thing. It's just positive versus negative feedback, but the letting go is what facilitates the next step for me, where it's, I'm letting go of my ego. I'm letting go of my expectations about this work because I finished it and then now it's time to send it out. And it could be the same with somebody coming to you and saying, basically, Hey man, you're fucking up. And then that facilitates the letting go of ego, letting go of the idea of this needs to look a certain way and coming back to the thing that was, you know, the most important thing, which was like the actual doing it and doing what you're believing in versus trying to achieve some sort of result that was based in external feedback.
1: On one hand, I'm, I'm thinking about the, well, I'm just thinking about the the letting go. And that's what, what has me sort of tongue tied because I'm, I'm still wrapping my head around. It's like art is never finished. It's abandoned. It's like, at some point you got to let go because you can always find another mm-hmm. reason to go back and do another revision or do another. Sometimes you just got to move on to the next step of the process, which might just be the next project. And like knowing when to do that's really valuable. I will say the thing that, really made me not made me because I don't that's a weird term but like a big part of the reason why I, I fell for my girlfriend is that her feedback about my work was so honest in that she was like some of this is great but this really doesn't work and it needs to be better and I was like yeah you're right. It does need to be better. Let I'm going to go work right. on that. And we have started to work together and we write scripts together and have directed some stuff together, which is really great. But the basis of that creative partnership has been on this ability for both of us to, and I think I'm still finding my voice on it, but being able to say, Hey, that's not working, or this is working. And there's this middle ground where it's not crushing that she's, that she's saying that my work can be better. But it's also and based in, on a very deep relationship that doesn't exist in a lot of the situations that I was talking about giving uh, fellow artists feedback on their work, where it's, you know, they, I don't know, some people really aren't looking for the feedback and, and some people- Right, they're, they're, they're just looking, looking for validation. validation. And because, you know, I do think that there are a good number of people who are drawn to writing and acting and all of this stuff because of some form of narcissism they think that they're the that what they're doing is important enough to they can't conceive of a world where what they're doing isn't important enough to be sharing with everybody and i think that that is just like <laughs> another one of those things it's like why i don't want to be i don't i have a hard time saying i'm an actor like i i act or like it's just a weird i don't know it's which i think I'm cognizant of us sort of running up against the clock here. So I I do want to sort of finish the idea around, you know, I guess I, I've got a strong enough sense of self that if I show up and I do a bad job of acting and someone says, you didn't nail it, or you were you're not good in this situation. I can sort of be like, yes, I get that. And that's not going to crush who I am the way that a narcissist is literally crushed when they receive any negative feedback.
0: Right. They're just yeah. completely deflated. Just like when you say something positive to them, you see this yeah. in their eye that like you just lit a fire inside right. them. But the question oh, that this yeah. makes me want to mm-hmm. ask you is that when you started having this experience with your girlfriend, how was that different? Like what, in what way was that a touch point for you? Because presumably in terms of, who you think you are or how you think of yourself and how you experience your relationships has changed sure. drastically, even in just in the last year. And so like, what, what was it like to to have that acknowledgement of I'm different?
1: Well, it just felt like such a sign but of like, respect. Like, I, I think it's going to be hard for me to triangulate what it was, what I've gone. I mean, like it's been a, uh, you know, I do really want, You know, it's it's like I think on my sales career to a certain degree of being like you know, I used to joke with my buddy, I'd rather be lucky than good, because if the result is the same and I'm lucky, that means I'm actually not working that hard. But it was one of those things where I was blessed to kind of inherit a really good book of business and a great sales territory and a miscalculated quota a couple of years in a row. And so there became this myth yeah. that I was a Freaking sales god, and I'm like, dude, guys, I work. There, there are lots of weeks I was working 15 hours a week, and it was ridiculous. And it did feel unfair to be paid as much money as I was making on on so little sure. work compared to some of my closest friends were working 50, 60 hours a week in a salaried position, where they they had at best case a 10% bonus, or you know, a couple of corporate attorney friends who are working 80 hours a week to get a 15% bonus at the end of the year. And here I am making as much money as them (laughs) doing nothing. But when people would say you're an incredible salesperson, Spencer, I'm not going to try to change their mind about that because I don't want to make my life harder, but I also know that they don't really know the truth. And when my girlfriend was able to say, your acting is is good, there's stuff here to work with, but this isn't working. It's like, what made it so great is that I finally felt seen in an honest way and I felt respected enough that she would... So
0: we're back, we just had some sort of technical difficulty, but Spencer, when you got
1: cut off, you were talking about what was it like getting that feedback? I guess to, to try to say it a lot more simply than I was saying it, is that, In sales, there was a ton of positive feedback. And part of it is that confidence does make you a better salesperson. But in that world, I never was able to fully trust this incredible positive feedback I got from sales leadership, partially because I knew the truth that I wasn't working as hard as they thought I was working, but also I do think that narcissists are drawn to sale. Like there, there's something about that 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 there's, or you just think, maybe we just encounter those people everywhere. Yeah, hard to say. We to all say. required, <laughs> you know, like there was some level. Everybody was pumping each other up all the time, and it never felt totally honest. And right. when you do something that you're like, I'm looking for feedback on this, and I think it's pretty good, but I know it's not great. And someone's like, yeah, that was great. It's almost, oh, they don't, they're not invested in me in, in, enough to give me their honest feedback they, or they're afraid of, there's some level of like lack of respect, lack of investment is, that I kind of perceive from someone mm-hmm. really simply being like, that was great because if it was great, they would be effusive about it. They couldn't, they wouldn't be able to stop talking about how amazing it was. This was great. And this was great. And this was great. But if, yeah, that was great or whatever, that's not very helpful. And when my girlfriend was like, hey, that's great, but actually this really didn't work. It's like, yeah, no, I kind of sensed that too, but I wasn't able to, you know, I'm not good enough to be able to self-diagnose. And frankly, you know, like Michael Jordan had a coach, Tiger Woods has a coach. The people at the top of their game all require some sort of feedback from people. And to get that feedback from someone was just felt like this real sign of respect an investment in my performance that was really charming and felt special to get that from someone i was just meeting and was just becoming friends with and so that was the that was sort of the distinguishing factor that it was it felt like something i could trust and it's something that i do i you know i just i kind of hate that feeling of of being handled with kid gloves But I just I you know, I think about the one of the most critical things that happened for me in my acting career in the last six months, aside from getting signed by an agent, was my agent a few months in saying that I needed new materials, new headshots and new real materials because because they weren't representative of what I was capable of anymore. She was like, I need you to market yourself better because you're better than what these materials are showing, there's sort of an amateur feel to do some of these things, which were good enough to get signed, but they weren't, they're not gonna be good enough to get booked. And what's crazy is that it has changed really how I'm, I'm not reading for these one-line security guard roles anymore, I, you know, I actually auditioned for a recurring guest star on a network show, which is insane to me actually, that I got the opportunity to read for that role. But, but yeah, I mean like it, it has changed how things are because of that negative, you can do better. The honest you can do better is is the thing I crave, which is interesting. Right.
0: You bring up a whole question too of the idea of somebody being invested. I mean, even just in a conversation, much less your greater success, which are I, I think are related, but I mean, it definitely calls into question for me if I'm trying to offer value to somebody else in any situation, it's number one, really paying attention. And number two, telling the truth in a kind way. And you made me think of, I mean, it's funny. I, cause I had a moment, which was, I guess over the summer maybe of 2019, where I had been really struggling through writer's block and I was trying to write every day, And I just, I I just couldn't. And I think, you know, maybe we'll do another episode at some point about writer's block, but yeah, Uh, Uh and creative process and stuff. But, you know, I struggled through starting to write this thing that fast forward to now, I hope that it'll be my second novel, but I had written, call it 17 pages. So that's like nothing. A novel with all of the notes and the drafts, I mean, a 300 page novel could have been thousands of pages of of writing. So, so 17 pages is, it's like nothing. And I sent it to two people. And I think I'll just talk about the one that was most helpful to me, which was basically I sent it to my friend and I actually hope that he will come on, but he's, he's involved with the university. So I don't know that he'll be able to, but essentially we get on the phone to talk about it. And he says, first of all, I just hope you know that you should keep going. Right. And then he followed that up by saying that he had, he basically explained the process by which he had read my, my piece and essentially that he had read it multiple times and had taken a lot of time to read it. Like he had become very invested in the piece. He had really paid attention to it. Yeah. And then when he got to the point where there was, this one line in particular, but he basically said that it was a piece of shit. Don't say that (laughs) sort of thing. But when he got to that point, it it was very easy for me to, to take that in. Yeah. Because there was this level of, there was this level of investment.
1: Yeah. Demonstration Um, of, of attention that, yeah. Yeah. Investment I think is the right word, but yeah.
0: And it's funny because I, you know, I had no idea where this topic was going to take us and that that idea of who do you think you are in a given situation, who do you think you are saying that to me, but I think that it makes me really think that's such a, it's a, such a powerful lesson. If I'm going to be really direct, we'll say it with somebody, who do I think that I am to do this? Have I really listened? Am I actually invested? In this discussion, you know, and then all the other cliche questions are not, you know, my own original thinking, but is this honest, kind, necessary? Right. Does it need to be said? Does it need to be said by me? Right. Does it need to be said right now? Have I really asked
1: myself those questions? I think those are really good guidelines when you are still trying to figure out what is the relationship and, and like, how are you? yeah, what is what is the relationship here? What are they asking from me? But ideally, it's not something that you have to, you have to engineer. And that's what I think is really freeing about the friendship that you and I have or you know, the most meaningful relationships in my life that there's already an establishment of, there's already this established investment. And they talk about this too, about why siblings are such good collaborators sometimes is that they will never, ever, not be siblings there's nothing at risk there and so there is this inherent investment in each other and so they are able to be way more honest or have much more tumultuous relationships in partnership around trying to get something done there are a lot of famous brother rowing rowing pairs you, you can think of like the the duffer brothers or the wachowski sisters or the people who created stranger things in the matrix like they have these like tumultuous relationships with each other as, but they're able, but it's because they're able to be so incredibly honest in that negative feedback that they give each other around what works and right. what doesn't work. Cohen brothers, another example. And I guess this is the thing too, that I, I was kind of realizing is that I, and maybe this is the thing we end on, but I don't know how profound it is, honestly, but there's so much discussion about who do I think I am and how we spent a lot of time talking about the things that we do. But really what it seems like the answer is, it's like, who do I think I am is not about my relationship with actions, but it's my relationship with people. Who am I in relation to the people that I'm around right now? And how do I perceive this relationship? I think I was trying to hint at like all of this internal work. The internal work allows us to be more clear in our relationships to other people and to make those relationships matter. that very much resonates
0: with me that the power of it is the extent to which it allows you, us, me to connect with other people. Yeah. And I think I feel compelled to, to try to say something profound, but we've said a lot and I think we'll leave it there. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, uh, and maybe we'll come back to, to some of it at another time. So yeah, I think I, I think we can close it out. And I'll thank everyone for joining us. Hope that you listen again. And for updates on the show and my other work, you can follow me on Instagram at drv.public. Thanks,
1: Spencer, for for joining me today. My my and joining us today. This was great. And like always, we could definitely have talked for another couple of hours, but let's just leave it there. We'll see everybody next time. Take care.